having successfully escaped from the clutches of <clears throat> the Pharaoh and leaving Egypt uh, more wealthy by far than he, when he went in. Abraham, along with Lot and the extended family, uh, returned to the land of Canaan. And in many ways, there is uh, a great blessing, uh, a prosperity uh, in Genesis chapter 13 that uh, demonstrates God's grace and God's kindness. And if you remember the last time we were together, talking about the importance of understanding the original author and the original audience, uh, you know, this promise of prosperity uh, is, is being, uh, what's the word for it, uh, reaffirmed uh, in this account uh, of the, the struggles in the relationship between Abraham, uh, or at this point, Abram, and Lot. Uh, so what we're seeing is we're, that, that things are going so well uh, that there appears to be insufficient land, but that they were going to need to separate, which is exactly what happens. There's bickering going on. Uh, Abraham's people and Lot's people are not getting along. Uh, I'm guessing that principally their their struggles have to do with uh, watering holes and uh, grasslands where the livestock can feed. And so they go back and forth toward each other and fussing at each other. Again, I don't think Abraham and Lot are doing it, but uh, their employees are. And Abraham does something Abrahamic. Uh, Abraham demonstrates the reality of his faith. He is called the father of the faithful. We're going to come to that most powerful text fairly soon where we're told Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, that call, friends, to believe God is not simply, uh, it doesn't end once we get past uh, the good news of how we get saved. That is, when we're called to believe God and we say, yes, I'm a sinner. Uh, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe he's the son of God. I believe that I have peace with God because of his grace. Uh, that's true and good and wonderful. Uh, but it's not the at that point you can say, well, now I'm done believing God. Now the other things that God says I'm going to be skeptical about. Now I'm going to be wondering, you know, now I'm left on my own until I die. No, not at all. That's not Abraham's perspective. Abraham understands that the reason that he is prospering is not because of his genius, not because of his hard work, not because of his skill set. I mean, my stars, he just walked out of Egypt. He walked into Egypt, committed this grave sin, endangered the whole plan, and walks out smelling like a rose because of all the wealth that Pharaoh gives him. This is a man who knows this comes from God. This is God at work. And so when he goes to Lot and says, look, we're not getting along. I don't want to have these hard feelings. Um, here's what we need to do. We need to uh, separate and divide up this land. Now, you know, I don't know Lot, and I suspect that Lot, uh, well, Lot's not the, not the greatest man. None of us are. 
except for Jesus. So I don't know how good of a man Lot is, but I, I suspect, and I would probably be in the same boat if I were Lot, I suspect first that uh, when Abraham, Abram makes this proposal to Lot, that Lot may have been just a touch suspicious. That's what we tend to do when we begin to... Uh, well, here's how that happens. I'm thinking that Lot's thinking, if I were in Abram's shoes, the only reason I would say this is because... Uh, I'm trying to get an advantage here. We've had this bickering between our two families, and now he comes with this proposal. What's what, what's his game? What's he up to? And Lot thinks there's a game and that he's up to something, because if it were Lot, Lot would have been gaming or up to something. So he's looking at Abraham, or Abram rather, suspiciously, and Abram says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide this land and... Uh, I'm going to let you choose. It's almost like, uh, for those of you who are familiar with this, those of you who aren't, you should be. Uh, but it's almost like uh, uh, the conversation on the poisoned wine in The Princess Bride. I suspect Lot's thinking, well, gee, if I pick this, then there must be some trick. And maybe Abraham or Abram wants me to pick that. And maybe I should pick the other. And at the end of the day, though, he can't figure out what Abram's game is. It looks like Abram's essentially drawn this line where the land's going to be split right along the fault line between the good land on one side and the bad land on the other. And unable to figure it out, Lot falls into the trap, not that Abram has led, but that uh, Lot's own uh, greed has led him to, and he picks the more lush, verdant, water-filled section of the land and, you know, looks at Abram like, are you going to be mad about this? Are you going to be, uh, try to negotiate after the fact? What, what, you know, what's going to happen? And Abram's like, okay, no problem. Knock yourself out. Well, I admit there's some level of speculation in all this, but it's speculation based on uh, what I know about my own sinful heart. And of course, the struggle, the trap, the thing that, that Lot couldn't see that made him make the wrong choice was twofold. First, unlike his uncle Abram, he didn't really understand where his wealth and prosperity had come from. He thought it came from green grass. He thought it came from uh, abundant watering holes rather than from the gracious hand of God. And secondly, and we're going to see this played out even more, of course, uh, we watch as uh, Lot finds out that the downside, the danger, the scary thing about the land that he took is that it is much more populated, and it's populated by uh, these folks who are under the wrath and judgment of God, people who are not trustworthy. Interesting, isn't it, that later on, 
when Abraham is in this very interesting situation where his wife has died and he's looking to purchase a, a burial plot for her that he goes to his neighbors where he's been wandering in this land. He goes to the neighbors and says, let me buy a, a plot of land so I can bury my wife. And their response, the heathen that were Abram's neighbors, they respond with, oh, no, Abraham, your money's no good here. We don't want any of your money. Just pick whatever land you want to bury your wife in. You can have it. Don't you think we know that since you showed up here, we have had all the rain we need. We've had all the grass we need. Our uh, uh, livestock are giving birth to live uh, young ones. Uh, we, we've been prospering ever since you got here. So forget about paying for this land. So Abram did have neighbors who were not believers. and But they were not as vile as the neighbors that Lot chooses. Well, we're going to spend more time on that when that uh, situation uh, comes to a head eventually. But for now, I just want us to, to get uh, again the message for the original audience. What is Moses saying to the children of Israel? He's saying to them, look, we're going to go into this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a wonderful land. Our father gave it to Abraham. Our, excuse me, our, our, our heavenly father gave it to Abraham, our father. And now it is ours. And we're going to go in there. But you need to understand something. There are people there that hate God. There are people there who are under God's judgment. There are people there who, if we hang out with them, if we intermingle with them, if we embrace their ways and their ideas, we are going to be destroyed. This account is preparation for God's calling for the harem, for the ban, for the determinate, for God's determination that every living person in the promised land should be put to death. That's what's going on here. And again, when we see in coming chapters that things don't go well for Lot, we're given a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to the children of Israel when they go into the land and follow Joshua. And Joshua does an outstanding job, but not a complete job. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Abraham had the wisdom to choose the better thing. I want to be safe. I want to be secure. I want God's favor. Grass is nice. Water's nice. But that's not what I really need. I need the blessing of God to go with me. Now, I don't think that he's you know, going to bed laughing at the foolishness of Lot. I think he's probably disappointed. And I think this as well, that... Uh, Lot didn't just choose the wrong land, but he chose to inhabit the wrong end of it. Keep in mind, these guys are enormously wealthy. We're talking about acres and acres and acres and acres of land. And they have tents. They can pitch their tent anywhere on the land that they want to. And Lot goes and pitches his tent close to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Now, to his credit, as we'll see later on, he he wasn't comfortable with his neighbors. He was worried for them, but he wasn't worried enough to get out of town. He wasn't even worried enough to preach to them. Does that remind you of anybody? Isn't this so much of what we're like as well? We want to be in places of power, of prestige, of influence, of prosperity. We hate being in the cultural uh, tidewaters, uh, away from the movers and shakers. I mean, this is this is essentially the thing that distinguishes evangelicalism from fundamentalism. They, they both views uh, affirm the same doctrines, but the evangelical does it while trying not to be embarrassed by the liberal. That's lot. Abraham's like, well, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I don't need any of that stuff. I have the God of heaven and earth on my side. Why would I worry about those things? I have everything that I need. And Lot's thinking, you know, I can be Abram's nephew, be close to God, be close to God's people, and also be uh, hanging out here with this crowd. Now, again, I recognize, or at least I I, I may be guilty of projecting onto Lot, but I, I recognize that propensity because I've been there. I've been there from the very beginning of my own public ministry, which began when I was roughly about eight years old. Let me tell you that story very quickly. I was uh, at, at camp, uh, church camp. It was called First Prez Church Camp. It was in the town of Ligonier, and it was two weeks long, and it was overnight. We slept in these little cabins with, with canvas windows and uh it was just a, a wonderful time, and I, I made some good friends along the way there. But while I was there, one one uh, day of the two weeks, it was the practice of the camp to have the campers uh, replace the adults in their callings. So someone was made the head cook for the day. Someone was made the head uh, games person for the day. And I was made for our little troop, the person who was responsible for giving that night's daily devotional. And I had about a day to prepare. And I began to think, well, what am I going to talk about when I talk to all my little eight-year-old friends? And I went into uh, the main building at the camp, which we weren't really welcomed into. It was for adults. Um, but there was a, a rack of books and I started flipping through the books and I found a little paperback book, which was of course about the right size for an eight year old about the issue of creation and evolution. And the book was trying to make the case of how you can uh, affirm both the truth of uh, the creation by God and the truth of evolution. And I thought, bingo, this is it. Boy, I can if I can take the, in the message of this book and deliver it to my friends, then we'll be ready to go out there and be uh, faithful to Jesus while still being cool and respectable to the world. 
not a good plan. Not my proudest moment. I, I, I hope uh, that I put that uh, perspective behind me. That's, I think, where Lot's at. Lot's wanting to live with a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom. And in God's grace, in the coming chapters, Lot's going to be told, get those feet moving and get them moving in the right direction. And that, friends, is Genesis chapter 13.